The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Daryl Sampson, Commercial Director at AXA Insurance Ireland. Welcome, Daryl. Thank you. So for our listeners out there, Daryl has over 30 years experience in commercial insurance, operating within a variety of business distributions, including broker, affinity, aggregator and direct, and has key expertise in driving business performance through a multi-channel business model. Now, Daryl spent the last 18 years at AXA, where he's enjoyed such roles as Managing Director of AXA Business Insurance, Chief Customer and Innovation Officer, as well as Chief Marketing Officer. He is an executive sponsor on diversity and inclusion in Ireland and a qualified charter insurer, who I believe is flirting with the idea of trying to become a fellow. Good luck with that, Daryl. Thank you. On the personal side of things, Daryl is an Englishman married with two teenage boys living in Scotland, working in Ireland for a French company and a Welsh CEO. He is a keen football supporter and a big fan of the Peloton biking experience. So welcome, Daryl. And so my first question is, what's it like being in your household during the Rugby Six Nations? Very confusing. Although I get a lot of choice. So my wife and my youngest are Scotland fans and myself and my eldest boy, I have two boys, as you said, are England fans. The good news for me is I tend to be on the victorious couch more often than not and tend to be able to have a go at a few of my colleagues more often than not, although the Irish do all right on occasion, as do the Welsh, to be fair. So yeah, it's a political minefield, to say the least. So I imagine your Monday morning is very much dictated by what the result is at the weekend. Yeah, so either I'm sending texts or I'm avoiding them. It's usually <laughs> one or the other. Great stuff, great stuff. So, Dara, if we can just start off by walking through our listeners through background in your career and what you're doing there at AXA in, in Ireland. And as we're in the, the coffee house today, what's your go-to coffee of choice? Yeah, my, my go-to coffee of choice is skinny hazelnut latte. I'm not sure what that says about me, but uh, it, it is. I've got a sweet tooth. That's, that's all I can say in my defence. Sounds very sweet. Yeah, very nice. And in terms of your background, Daryl, and, and what you're doing at AXA at the moment, if you can just expand a little bit for, for our listeners. Yeah, so I, I joined the uh, island part of our operation in April last year, having spent the vast majority of my AXA career in the UK, a number of roles you've, you've spoken about earlier. Certainly in Ireland, we're a big player in Ireland, the number one insurer in, in the market, in fact. But uh, we tend to have an overt focus on our retail part of our business, so our car and our household business, and have less market share in, in our commercial business. Uh, my background is, is commercial insurance, always has been. And there was an opportunity to have a look at the strategy in Ireland to see whether we could take that market position alongside the expertise we have more broadly in our UK and Ireland business. Obviously, we're a bigger player in the UK, as you know, and knit the two together to become a more powerful player in commercial insurance in Ireland. So that's what I've been doing for the last 15, 16 months now and thoroughly enjoying it. Great. And how do you find the transition between UK and Ireland? Is there much difference between the two markets and the way you operate? 
Certainly the customers are identical. You know, a, a shop customer is a shop customer, a manufacturing industry is a manufacturing industry. So certainly the, the end consumer of the product, if you like, is very similar. Certainly the dynamics and the size of the Irish market is, is different. From a distributor point of view, certainly the consolidation that's taking place in the UK isn't as prevalent in, in Republic of Ireland. But I would have to say my biggest challenge is, is taking the experience I've got more broadly in commercial and end customer and understanding the adaptations in terms of the local market. So that's distribution and those political and economic differences that affect decision making. And obviously, AXA being a, a French company, is there is there much crossover between what what they do on the continent there and and in Ireland being part of the EU, or is there a closer symmetry with the UK? A bit of both is is the simple answer. Certainly, there are a number of characteristics with how the UK market does insurance. In Ireland, we have branches, which doesn't you know, it's not the case in the UK market and it's more similar to, I suppose, what you'd see as a tied agency model in France. So there are some similarities with our EU brethren, but there are also a lot of similarities with the UK market. It's just a question of, I suppose, as a global organisation, using the best experience in all those entities and try, and try and bring some of that to the Irish market. Great. It sounds like a, a really interesting role that you have there at the moment. I'm sure there's lots of challenges and lots of benefits that you're that you're bringing to the organisation over there in Ireland. And we'll we'll work our way through those over the next half an hour or so. So, so Dara, I'd love to take you now into the main body of our interview. I'd like to start by asking, what do you personally do on a daily basis that helps set you up for a successful day? The first thing I do, ironically, going back to your, your earlier question, is uh, I get myself a skinny hazelnut latte. That, that, tends to, that tends to be my route back to my desk. I suppose more broadly what, what I try to do, and it, it's not always possible, but what I try and do is to create space during my day. You never know what's going to come from left field. It, it's great to have a plan for the day. There's certain things you want to do, but the days don't turn out like that. There's always that phone call, that thing that, that comes from left field. And it also helps to have a degree of thinking time. I think that's been more amplified as, you know, we're now all working from home. And certainly there's a lot of dialogue with, with myself and my executive colleagues around how we miss that transition between meetings. You know, those corridor conversations, those water cooler conversations, but also those mental breaks as you're moving from one place to another. And certainly I think now creating that space is even more important to give yourself that mental breathing space to to put one thing down and, and prepare for the next thing that's coming along so try and create space is, is probably the best advice i could give and how do you go about doing that daryl because i imagine there's lots of stakeholders who are keen to have meetings with you arrange calls with you to book your diary out how, how do you go about doing that uh, being a bit selfish so, so having the ability to to say no or can we do it tomorrow or I've got this. And it's amazing how often people will understand that dialogue. Clearly, that's not always the case. And it's not as easy if it's your boss asking the question than it is a peer or, or a member of your team, let's be honest. But I, I think you can be honest with, with some people and do that. I think the other thing, and you know, I'm, I'm privileged to, to have a PA helping me manage my diary is... I think having a damn good PAI that's a rock violer that pushes back is also a nice little benefit as well, to be fair. I think that's great advice. And I think it's important that you choose the right PA and make, make sure in sync 
with your diary allocation. That's that's very key. So we understand that to be successful as an insurance business leader, there's often some adversity to overcome along the way. So what I'd like to know, Daryl, is as well as your biggest achievement, what has been the largest setback and how have you gone about turning that situation around? Yeah, I- the greatest achievement in my career so far, I think, was being appointed as manager director of the commercial direct business. That's the first role I had where effectively I had total PL control. Some people that will know me will know I'm a bit of a control freak, and that's a balance I've kind of got to, got to stay. But the, the reality of having a business where I had clear views, clear ideas of where I wanted to take it. And, and with the support of, of the ex- broader executive and the team I was working with, the ability on a day-to-day basis to strive to hit that ambition and the change that we went through in that commercial direct business over that tenure was certainly one of the proudest things in my career. It was a face-to-face business in a model where we had customers moving more to digital and contact center wanting that online, you know, sort of agile experience. And, and we completely transitioned that business over the period and grew it and made money. You know, that was a great part of my career and, and the team that helped me do that, I'll be forever grateful for. I suppose in terms of whilst there are upsides to your point, there are always there are always difficult times. And you refer to me being the, the chief customer officer. And we had a new leader come into the business. I know this sounds ironic now, but it wasn't a personal thing. It was just how we saw how we wanted to take the business forward. And, and, and clearly the role I had didn't fit into that mix. And, you know, he was very supportive of me in terms of saying, look, I rate you, but this is not how I want to take the business going forward. And I think you have to try and depersonalize that in, in what is an environment where it's very, very personal. Let's yeah. be perfectly honest. But with his support, and with an opportunity from Ireland with Phil Bradley, who's, who's my CEO in Ireland, we knew each other historically, there was another door that opened. So I think you're going to face setbacks, you're going to face organisations changing, and occasionally you're going to be the one that's going to find yourself in a difficult position. But I think whatever the role, whatever the circumstances structurally, I think if you do well in that role, and and people rate you notwithstanding and you've got that wider network one door shutting will inevitably lead to another door opening yeah that's great so if you're at that senior level and there is a a restructure or a reorganization on the way the business is going to go forward not to take that personally but actually see what other doors will open as a result of that and as a result of the quality of the work that you've been doing and it, it, it usually isn't about you i know that sounds uh, ironic because it is very you but it's usually about how somebody sees the things and how somebody wants to take it forward and you know the ability to get over yourself a little bit and, and look for where the opportunities are is 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 probably the hardest thing but but the thing that you probably need to do okay now if we just if we just go back slightly in your career to a time where i think a lot of insurance professionals will probably have the same story where they didn't necessarily decide straight away on a career in insurance, but fell into a career. When did you then have that eureka moment, that light bulb moment where it sort of all clicked into place and you knew you would have a successful career in insurance? Well, I'm certainly in the felling category. That is that is true. I fell in as a consequence, ironically, of a careers fair that took place at, at my school. 
Yeah. And I got a call out of the blue to say, uh, would you like an interview at a local insurance brokers? And, and at the time I was working in accounts in a tights factory of all locations. But anyway, <laughs> that's a different story. I don't think I've had a eureka moment. I, I think it's more evolved. So I think it's been mm. little bits and pieces as I've gone along. But there was a point where I think in terms of how I approach things, I, I find I have an ability to try and understand solutions so if faced with a problem, I can, I can usually find a way out or find a direction I want to go in. And, and that was all right for a while, but I wasn't able to communicate that. So it made sense in my head, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the story out. I couldn't, I couldn't get people to understand what I was trying to do. So I think the combination of that and an ability I've learned over time in terms of how to articulate it, how to communicate that story. And I think as a leader, one of the key things you do need to do, and I've, I've learned it from some of, the, some of the good managers I've had over the years, is the ability to convey your story and for people to understand that and make the choice as to whether they want to buy in or not, because not everybody's going to buy in, I, I think is one of the critical roles of a leader. And I think, therefore, combination of my abilities to kind of understand where I want to take things and to be able to communicate it. And it, I probably learned that. I go back to the earlier conversation about that manager director role in commercial direct. That was the first time where I, I started to feel comfortable enough in my own skin to to take that story and be able to convey it to others. Insurance can be an incredibly technical industry. And as part of that communication, we certainly, when, when we're dealing with particularly senior underwriters, senior leadership within underwriting, that ability to not only communicate technically to other technical people, but also to be able to communicate to other stakeholders in the business and articulate that vision to them without being overly technical. We've experienced quite a few times where that's been a real key asset that someone's had. So I, I can really see your point there. And I think that's, that's obviously a very essential thing to have if you want your team to to go in the direction that you're that you're taking them. Or to decide that's not the direction they want to go in and that mm. they can make choices for themselves. One of my old bosses said, you've got to decide whether you want to get on a bus. You know, you can't, you can't sort of stand and let, hold the bus up. And I think that's the challenge, giving somebody the opportunity to make the decision that works for them and be clear, yeah. I think is helpful whichever way that turns out. Look, looking forward and ahead now, Daryl, over the next few years, how do you see the insurance industry developing and... How do you think insurance business leaders should adapt to be successful in that environment? Yeah, I'd, it's hard to have this conversation without understanding the impl- impact that COVID has, has had on that outlook. Oh, yeah. You know, we asked that question in January and February, and I suppose the economic landscape, and, and, and that was substantively different. And I think that's relevant in two things. What, one, in terms of the reality that creates is in terms of the next three to five years, you know, so the change in the economic landscape, the change in the competitor landscape, what that means for customers, both in terms of their awareness of risk. Mm. And I suppose the brand challenge that the industry is facing more broadly about their reaction to, to, to the COVID epidemic, but also people, you know, this is week 14 for me of working from home, you know, so it's changing people's views on how they work and where they work and when they work. And obviously, I suppose, short to medium term, the government and the, the regulators, whatever industry you're in, is going to be learning lessons from this. And, and that'll also cause a reaction. Now, to be fair, what that's all going to be, the truth is, it's probably too early to tell, you know, the, yeah. the predictions on that are wide and varied. But I think that the wider point is, 
whatever the challenge you face, change is inevitable. This is just another version of change. It's a critical version of change in that that it's more focused. But I think longer term, people's ability to adapt to change in whatever form, in whatever severity, is critical. And again, I think one of the conversations I've had with Phil, who's my current CEO, is, you know, he said that, look, change is inevitable, but the reality is in change, there is opportunity. And it's those that adapt to change that I think it's more important, you know, so we will face an economic challenge. You know, our competitors will shift as their response to this differs. Our customers will probably be more risk aware, but also they'll be more skeptical. Digital ways of working, people wanting different shift patterns and a different work-life balance and, and a greater focus on customer regulation, I think is inevitable. Mm. How we adapt to that, I, I think is in our own hands and there will be winners and losers. Do you think it'll be key to business leaders to be able to have that adaptability in order to, to survive and to thrive going forward? I think there's two challenges. So firstly, yes, people need to be adaptable because I, th- I think the reality is things are becoming more clear, but we're still in an uncertain phase. Yeah. Um, but I think also the ability of organizations to balance the short-term challenge that's going to come from the economics and that longer term strategy and the implications that has is, is probably going to be one of the key challenges. So how, how you can make room for maintaining that longer term folk process whilst clearly facing those shorter term challenges, I think will be key. And, and the balance on that, those that do it best, I think will probably come out better in, in terms of that future landscape. So having a balance between the the long term plans, the short term adaptability to the new environment is is the key there. Yeah. Really, really interesting point, Daryl. Really interesting. We're now going to move ahead now to the next round of questions, which our listeners will know as the espresso round because it's short, sharp, and straight to the point. So, Daryl, I have to ask you: Are you ready for the espresso round? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Thank you so much. The espresso round. So what is your favorite success quote? Kind of what I spoke to earlier. So change is inevitable, but any change could be an opportunity, uh, courtesy of my CEO, Phil Bradley. Is that a copyright, that quote? Uh, I, d- I don't know. I, I thought I would cite him, otherwise he, he, he might give me some issues when he hears this. That's a good job. You, you could have claimed it as yours, but yeah, when this, when this goes out, it could have uh, caused some embarrassment, so... I appreciate that. Daryl, what is the number one thing you see holding back insurance professionals from being more successful? An ability to see it from a customer's perspective, even, even more so now. I think if you can make decisions based on customer need as opposed to that internal thinking mentality, and it's sometimes very hard to get away from that, I, I think you'll end up longer term being more successful. That's such a great Great point, Daryl. Do you think you've got some of that thinking from your experience in your chief customer role that you held previously? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think certainly being involved in the direct business helped. You know, I think sometimes the industry's sheltered by having a professional intermediary network and they're, they're absolutely invaluable. But I think that sometimes makes it harder for people that sit in insurance companies to, to understand the end customer position. And so an ability to, to see that more directly and to, to enable that help your dialogue with your yeah. broker partners is more helpful because you start to talk their language yeah. 
So, yeah, certainly, certainly the chief customer bit absolutely helped, but also having some of that direct experience with end customers was also helpful because you can you can see that more directly, whereas sometimes that's a bit filtered. Yeah, I completely appreciate that. It must be a challenge sometimes to create a product that is great for the customer, but also for the broker who's going to be selling or advising that end customer on that product. Yeah, but it, but in my experience, I think ultimately a broker wants to be able to have a conversation with a customer where they can provide something better than what they already have. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, I don't think the two are exclusive. It's just it's very difficult for the manufacturer, if you want to call insurance companies that, to, to be able to understand that in, in real detail. Yeah, fantastic. In your business, in AXA, how do you drive forward the standards of the insurance industry? Ireland's interesting in that regard because it has a minimum level of professional qualifications it needs for, for certain types of role uh, for, or for you to do certain types of role. And, and for me, certainly in terms of the contrast, I, th- I think that's a good thing. You know, it, we should be held as a professional sector, a professional industry. And so therefore, I, I think that standard is, is certainly something that looks good in Ireland and I think helps that that standing within the market. It, it's also a, a, a larger profile industry in, in Ireland. I, I customer awareness is, is certainly uh, quite a bit higher than, than I would have seen historically in the UK. So it, it's important that we are seen to be maintaining those standards. So I think those professional standards are important. I think the bigger challenge is, I suppose, the wider behavioral challenges. So not the technical qualification, but our ability to have good customer conversations, those relationship skills, those softer skills. And, and that certainly in terms of culture and back to the, what I said earlier around customer lens, the ability to talk in a simple language uh, and to be understood and to convey what it is you're trying to convey. I think that's, that's really the focus in terms of where we're starting to try and see a change in behaviors. Very interesting point there i think obviously in the uk there's no minimum requirements in terms of academic qualification or even insurance qualifications in a lot of cases and there's a real variety of insurance leaders who who have that fellowship of insurance and those who have cert cii or or nothing at all there's 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 a huge mix there i know certainly from work we do in the US that lots of states you need to be licensed in order to be able to sell insurance so it's quite interesting that the UK although it's one of the founding insurance market that we probably have the least regulations in terms of insurance qualifications you mentioned earlier that that you might be attempting to become a fellow how's that going has that has that started is that something that's in the so, back of your mind at the moment. Yeah, so to, so to give you a clue, I, I, I became an associate 20 something years ago. I won't tell you how long directly, but I suppose it was a combination of two things. I, I think lockdown has, has given me an opportunity to, to rethink that. So uh, I had a fresh look and actually I'm, I'm part way through. So to go from one to the other, basically you've got to do a business ethics component and, and then a major project. So I'm I'm part way through the business ethics part of the application. So yes, I am trying to use my working from home time a little bit more wisely. And back to the creating the space, I've created a bit of space to to probably take that final challenge. That's great. It's so important to have that space for personal development. 
And this links nicely onto our next question. Then it'll be interesting to see what AXA's point of view is is on those professional qualifications. So, what does AXA do to develop talent and maximise their chances of becoming successful insurance business leaders? So, if I talk explicitly to to Ireland, we have just brought in a new head of capability, a lady called Jennifer Howard, to help really support us on that journey. I things we, we're already doing is we have a clear focus on diversity inclusion you, you talked about my involvement in that earlier and i i'm involved in that because it, it's important i believe for the leaders of a business to reflect both the people that work in it but more importantly the customers it serves you know so so clearly there's there's more focus at the moment on gender which i wholly support but i'm talking more broadly here around diversity and, and inclusion in all its contexts and, and the reality is if if you have somebody who represents your people and your customers having those debates on those key decisions for me you're going to have better decisions because it's going to reflect tr- truly you know the, the people that you're serving ultimately i think the second bit and again it's come to the fore a little bit around you know the experience of working from home is is mental resilience. So that mental support framework, particularly in this environment, more, more broadly, I think giving giving your people the resilience and the ability to adapt with the inevitable change that, that's magnified more recently, but but certainly is true on an ongoing basis. I think is key. The rest, I I, I leave Jennifer to try and help support and leaders on truthfully. Must be a challenge at such a large company like AXA to to implement that and to to give the people the chance to adapt and to have some of their own free reign of their own career. Is there any examples you could give of of things which enable that? I think the the key one for me is, I'll give you an observation and, and then an example, if I may. My observation is, I think people working in a business also need to realize that they have a personal responsibility for their own development. And, and the organization is not there to give it to them, mm. they're to support them in doing that. But, but actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a two-way conversation. I mean, interestingly, I, I was doing an interview yesterday with an individual who in one year completed his MBA, his second year of his MBA, and did his, prof- his minimum professional insurance qualification. You know, there's an individual with, with drive and passion that, that knows what they want to do and he's prepared to put themselves out to get there. So mm-hmm. I think as much as there's things an organization can do to facilitate that, and whether that's better digital learning or supporting in examinations or you know helping that career development and succession planning, I, I think the bigger challenge is an organization getting people to take responsibility for their own development. Completely agree with that. I think it's people's own personal career. They have to take responsibility for the direction they want to take it. And if there's that development structure in place at a company, that's great. But if there isn't, they, they shouldn't be blaming that on the reason why they're they're not getting to where they want to go. And they certainly take ownership of that. So 100% agree with you there. Daryl, just to finish off our, our last question in the espresso round. If you woke up tomorrow morning with all of the knowledge and all the experience you've built up over your 30 years in insurance, but but for some reason your company AXA wasn't around anymore, how would you go about 
starting a career again, what steps would you take? To- I'm starting to get on a bit, so I might just go play golf, which is the <laughs> answer to your question. But assuming I still needed the money and had the drive, which, which in part I do, I think, I think my wife would kill me after about three months at home <laughs> and push me back to work, to be fair. But I, I think I go back to the earlier observation that even around networks, people buy people. And sometimes you don't know when those relationships are going to have a value. And I suppose, therefore, to invest in a network, invest in having relationships, sometimes without any knowledge of where it's going to go or if it's going to go anywhere. Yeah. Because ultimately, when you're faced with a situation that, you know, you find yourself in a difficult position or things change, then, then you have a wider group of individuals who you can lean on and talk to. Mm-hmm. And, and that inevitably gives you better outcomes. So I, I, would, I always used to think networks was about politics. I probably completely changed my view. Networks is about relationships and mm-hmm. better relationships you have with a wide selection of individuals. I think the more successful you become because you're not going to be successful as a leader through your own knowledge. It's only through the knowledge of others and your ability to tap into that at any given yeah. point that you become successful. That links in really nicely with what you were saying about pers- taking ownership of your personal development as well. Before we finish off today, I'd just like to ask you if you've got one further piece of advice for our listeners and how do they go about contacting you after the show? I think that there's two main themes. I think the first one is around change. I've mentioned it a couple of times. Ch- change is inevitable. So Try not to stress about it because with, with change, there is always an opportunity if you want it. The challenge is trying to find what that opportunity is. And, so, and sometimes it's more difficult to see that than others. And I think the other one is, is take personal responsibility for your own development. I've, I've been successful, ironically, a degree of luck and a, and a degree of having you know, key individuals and, 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 and mentors that have, that have helped me find that path so I, I would ask people to find a mentor find somebody you know that they they think they can help them on their journey because they're out there but, so those would probably be the the two big pieces for me and in terms of contacts um email address is probably easier so daryl.sansom axa.ie is probably the easiest way to get older me and if you're close enough maybe we can get that proverbial coffee thank you daryl to all our listeners out there, we'll be posting Daryl's email communication on the, on the show notes so you can reach out to him if you have any questions or observations following this pod. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us on the Insurance Coffee House. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I think your, your insights have been really, really valuable. And I think a lot of business leaders within insurance companies will be really inspired by what you've said today. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Cheers, Nick. To all our listeners out there in the UK, Ireland, and across the world, this has been the Insurance Coffee House podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. That would be fantastic. And please do remember to download or subscribe so that you get each of our weekly podcasts downloaded straight into your inbox. For now, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.